Hey guys, glad you could join us for another episode of Core 4 Life. We're your hosts, Ryan, Matt, Mike, and Andrew. We bring you another episode every Thursday to discuss four key pillars in our lives. Be fit, be driven, be noble, and be chill. And how our faith is the backbone behind each of those pillars. We'll be talking to some awesome guests, tackling different topics, and staying accountable with each other to live our lives the way God intended. Tune in each week to see if there may be something missing in your life. Let's jump into today's episode after a quick ad for our sponsor. Cheers here. Yep. And cheers, boys. Cheers. And we are welcoming Matt Canavy to the show today. He's joining us virtually, so he virtually cheers with us. But um, so Matt uh, is a licensed professional counselor with Emerge, uh, and he's also had quite an extensive music career. So we're really looking forward to getting to hear a lot of that and a lot of what God has been doing in your life through counseling, through your musical career and, you know, just through, through everything that you've been through. And I, you know, I will say, you know, I get, I get the opportunity to play with you in church band. And I, you know, that is the only opportunity that I would ever have to play with a musician of your caliber. So oh, I, I truly, <laughs> I, I truly appreciate playing with you and just, um, yeah, getting to hear what you bring to the worship team. So, thanks, man. welcome to the show, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Good to have you here, man. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we've had a couple conversations and, you know, just talking through what we were going to talk about on the podcast. And it sounds like you have an awesome redemption story, which, you know, obviously we'll dive into quite a bit. Yeah. But I guess for starting off, can you give us a little background on what you're doing now, like with your music, with your counseling career? Like, just sure. give us give us a brief intro of yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the the last couple of years, I, I um, you know, long it's a, it's a long story to get to this process, and we'll we'll kind of dive into that. But I, I've been at Emerge uh, Counseling Ministries for the last three years. I do a lot of trauma work. Uh, I, I went back, uh, I guess, in 2012 um, to get my master's degree in clinical counseling and mental health. And, you know, long story, again, long story short, it's like uh, I, I toured for about 15 years in the music industry. And, um, you know, to get to counseling, it's, it's kind of just this crazy God story that I really had no anticipation of any point in my life to be a clinical counselor. Um, it was not on my radar whatsoever. I mean, from the time I was 15, I was on the road uh, touring and, and playing music. So the idea of, of counseling was never on the radar, but life just kind of changed. And I got married in 2015 to my high school sweetheart that we dated for about four or five years uh, until I was about 21. And uh, she just felt like the, the life of a, a musician on the road was not what she wanted. And, you know, roughly 15 years later, God brought us back together um, by chance and and we got married and so married with a uh, with a little girl who we're just thrilled to have um yeah and so I've been emerged for the last couple of years and uh yeah it's been great that's awesome so you mentioned that you started your musical career you started touring at 15 mm-hmm. like how, how did that happen <laughs> You know, it's a funny thing. I, I had I was an athlete. I played uh, football, basketball, and baseball, 
And um, so right, it was the transition into my sophomore year and I broke my vertebrae in yeah. three places. And um, I did, uh, playing basketball, I dove into the bleachers and during a scrimmage, it didn't even count um, after basketball and came down on the bleachers and just snapped. I think it was my L3 and L4 in a couple different places. So my sports career was over, uh, which was really hard for me because that was all I knew from, you know, first grade on was playing sports. But my dad was a musician. Uh, my dad was actually in an Elvis cover band of all things. And um, <laughs> strangely enough, I was born the day Elvis died, which is kind of crazy. So like the story always goes like nobody knows what my dad was more concerned and upset about was me being born that day or, or Elvis dying that day. But <laughs> I grew up in a musical family. So my dad always had guitars around the house and um, actually have a, a Gibson 335. Um, that's what I learned how to play on growing up. And so when I broke my back, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with myself. So, you know, I was in a body cast for, for a pretty long time. So I just started learning guitar. I would just put, turn the radio on and just start playing along with what, what was ever on the radio. And I got pretty good at it and um, found some like-minded people in high school. And all of a sudden, you know, it wasn't, it didn't take very long for us to get some, some traction and a little bit of a fan base. So by the time I was 15, 16, we were touring uh, pretty regionally and, um, you know, hitting Columbus, Pittsburgh, Toledo, Cincinnati, you know, stuff like that. Cause I had to be at school the next day. So, you know, we, we kept it pretty regional uh, through uh, high school, and then it, it started getting more intense as I, I got into college. I went to Kent State for a year, but I, I was enrolled in Kent State, but I, I don't think I actually went to Kent State because I was I was <laughs> literally playing shows all, like at least Wednesday and Thursday through Sunday, and then I think I was sleeping Monday and Tuesday, and then I'd start the whole process over. So my transcripts from Kent State don't look so good. <laughs> Those aren't transferring anytime soon. No, no, those those don't. I I do have them hanging up because they are so bad. I mean, you have to try to get a grade point average that low. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of how I started. You know, and when I was eighteen, that's when it became pretty real to me that you know this could be something, and I started getting some more attention from um, national type. Uh, management and labels. And um, I had a manager that ended up, I, I don't mean to name drop through this process, but it's part of the process is um, he went to school with uh, the guys in DC talk. Oh. And so I got to know um, Michael Tate really well. And um, Tate and I became really close friends. And I was, you know, there was no reason for me to be in college. It was like I was wasting all kinds of money. And so when I was 19, um, actually I was 18, but when I actually moved when I was 19, when I was uh, 19, I moved to Nashville and, and that's kind of where everything started to take off. And so, yeah. So when, was that a Christian band back in the day or was that, there uh, were, there were Christians in the band. I wouldn't call us a Christian band uh, by any means. Um, three quarters of us were, were believers. I mean, I grew up in a, a strong Christian home for the most part, but we were playing clubs, we were playing bars, uh, we were doing secular covers. All of our original music had always had a foundation in in faith, but it probably wasn't like completely obvious to the drunk in the corner. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if, a lot of our audience were, were, you know, we played a lot of college towns and, and stuff. And it's like, they weren't going there to be like, oh man, listen to the message of this song. It was just like, <laughs> you know, whatever. So, but I think we did represent, I think we did represent something uh, positive. I mean, we, 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 you know, I was really young at that point, but I don't think we were trying to necessarily change the world, but we were trying to be probably a little bit more positive than the bands we were touring with or, or opening up for at that point. What are some of the bands that you were, were there any big name bands that you were opening up for? At that point, when I was in high school, we opened for, well, I opened for Kid Rock, <laughs> Matchbox 20, we opened for, I'm trying to think, there was a band that I loved called The Eels that we opened for. Um, that the singer of The Eels has, has made some brilliant records. I think those were the big ones. Oh, Big Wreck. I don't know if you guys are Big Wreck fans, but they're amazing. Uh, they're a Canadian band. Um, we opened for them at uh, the old Peabody's Down Under, and I just became a huge fan of Ian Thornley, who's the singer. So if you never listened to Big Wreck, you need to check it out. It's just huge riff rock with like Chris Cornell vocals that will rip your face off. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That sounds amazing. Yeah, We're gonna listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Big Wreck, but Ian Thornley, he 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 continued after Big Wreck and has just made some amazing records sonically. He's just one of the best vocalists and guitar arrangers that I've heard. Well, what's that like a, as a high schooler? You know, you're, you're touring with some of these big names that you probably idolized. You know, for the last several years. You know, growing up. Yeah. What's that like meeting them? Are you pretty starstruck or like? as a musician are you just that's just kind of the thing then you're just open for bands and doing what you need to do yeah i always felt like i belonged there you know so i never felt yeah. like you know there was a couple times i was starstruck I, I you know growing up in my my parents house it was like elvis all the really weird christian music that came out during that era and you guys might not even remember some of that stuff but it was weird like um like carmen and you know all kinds of stuff i don't want to throw anybody on the bus but but then crosby stills and nash and young were huge and i got to um meet stephen stills and um i was like a 13 year old girl meeting britney spears it was just like i i'm one of your biggest fans but like i remember opening for the eels and maybe a lot of people don't know the eels but they're, they're kind of an underground band but i remember playing with them and i went home that night and I had to be up for school the next day, but I remember turning MTV on and their video came on. And I was like, I just played with them. Like, <laughs> I just left the venue and there, it was just crazy. Um, so I, I think there were moments where it was just kind of surreal going, you know, I'm 17 years old playing with these national touring acts. But again, I, I, I always assumed the thing, you know, our, our um, mantra was kind of like act as if. And it's like we always wanted to, you know, walk into a room and not be the, the people that didn't belong. It's like we, we belong here. Like we've worked our tails off uh, to do that. And so, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, there's a couple people that you run into and it's like, oh, my gosh, that's like that's the craziest thing ever. But for the most part, yeah. everybody's pretty much normal people, you know. <laughs> talk about that just like the work that it takes to to get to that level like obviously there, there's some skill involved as far as being a musician and having you know having rhythm having vocals yeah. but as far as like the practice the you know, the time that you have to put in yeah. with your instrument to, to get to a level that you can play in front of thousands of people and be comfortable with that what's that like well i think there, there's a, a a misconception that you know when i was 16 and 17 and i was like regionally touring 
we thought we were this close to making it. And when I actually got to that point of making it, I realized how far we actually were. Like all (laughs) of these bands we would play with, they're like, dude, we're on the cusp. I'm like, you have no idea what it's going to take to get there. But when I started the band um, Legion, which was, that was the band that that we got signed and and we were touring nationally and, you know, we were on MTV and, and all those things. Before we even played a show, we spent an entire year in a basement working from nine in the morning till six at night, Monday through Friday, and just hashing stuff out every day for a year. And I think a lot of the bands that I would play in uh, prior to that band, it's like we would go, oh, man, my schedule's crazy. Let's practice once a week. or And then that would turn into once a month. It was like when I started Legion, it was like, this is your job. Whatever you're doing in your life, quit it. Quit everything. If you're dating somebody, break up with her because it's it's over, you know. And, and we were we were insane about it. And the thing was, is we had one show, so we rehearsed for a year. We did one show in Akron, and then the next day we were um, on our way to Nashville, and we opened for uh, Collective Soul, and we played a show in front of about twenty five thousand people. And I just went to the crowd after I knew we had them. Like, it's like, I knew it. Like we had this crowd in the palm of our hands. Yeah. And I was like, request our song on the radio. <laughs> and the, the radio station, we weren't signed. We didn't even have a record. Like they didn't have our record. <laughs> and so the radio station called us the next day and they're like, um, we don't have your record. And people are calling like crazy. So we got on a plane, flew back to Ohio because we were planning on doing a record with our buddy, John Johnson, who is an amazing engineer. He's actually the guy that put the sound system in our church. Oh, and okay. um, we did a two song demo that we shipped out. We, we started recording on a Friday. We shipped it out on a Monday and it went to number one on the radio station in the southeast within a week. Like it was just like this. That's crazy. And so as soon as that happened, everything changed. Like all of a sudden we were everywhere and, and, you know, our, our song was blowing up. Then, you know, we started meeting with every record label and, you know, so, I mean, that, that's when everything kind of took off. There was a lot of the stuff to, to get to that point. And, you know, different bands that I played in and stuff. And I, I know Ryan and you and I uh, talked the other day about, you know, prior to all that, a big jump for me was, you know, when I was 19, I I met with Tate and got to know the DC talk guys. And um, that was kind of my big entrance entrance into the Christian industry. And um, there was a band called Zilch, which there there's three guys in DC talk and the band behind them started a band called Zilch. And um, they needed a, a guitar player. So two of the guys um, offered to do my solo record if I would play in Zilch. And uh-huh. in the process of that, I was making a solo record. Zilch was also making a record. And so I toured with them, I think, for about six months as like a hired gun. And then um, they came out with a new record and decided it wasn't going to be called Zilch anymore. It was going to be Sonic Flood. And so one night we were zilch and the next day a record came out and we were Sonic flood and then it just blew up. And so that's when I was, I was like 20 years old and you that, were in Sonic flood, like during the, for the first album. Yeah. So I was, I was the touring guitar player. So I, I didn't, I didn't play on the record. I didn't write any songs, but they, they were the band. They, 
they were they were it was a great experience because it was like you know it went from zero to 60 it was similar to legion you know it was just like it went from zero to 60 we were playing in front of like 500 people and then next week we were in front of twenty five thousand headlining you know an arena because i want to know you just blew up yeah you know <laughs> so wow. yeah so i mean that that's what kind of introduced me into like oh i wasn't really that close to yeah this in high school like we weren't even in the neighborhood of what this is even though we always thought that but i think you have to have that mentality of going you know what in every stage we made it like we're there but then when you actually get there you're like oh we were full of crap like we weren't (laughs) we weren't close to anything playing those dive bars in columbus ohio samsonite i was way off. i was what swami swanson i was way off here mr samsonite here's your bag <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's, awesome. that's what I was going to ask. That's, that was the name of the song. I want to know you, the one that yeah. got on the radio that they had to call to call you guys for. No, yeah. that was Song of Flood. So that was like, oh, uh, what what was the song that you you called out? You told the fans. Song for Legion. Yeah. So it was uh, the the song was called Reality, and it didn't get a lot of play in the Northeast. We all of our big attention was in the Southeast. And so every time I say Legion and um, uh, reality, but if you want to do YouTube it, you could. I think the video's up uh, for reality. It's a live video of that song. So that, that's what kind of started the Legion process. So, yeah. So where did, where did you go from there then after after that, after Legion, after Sonic Flood? I mean, where did so you the timeline go? is I went to Nashville, I joined Sonic Flood, and I did that for about a year. And, and there was just some internal things that, I just didn't want to be a part of. Um, I think I told Ryan, you know, I, I was kind of shocked. Again, I'm not going to share names, but I, I, I was shocked at, you know, people that I grew up listening to were living these kind of dualistic lives. And um, I, I think I really struggled being a Christian in an industry that is really no different from the secular industry. And it really kind of um, it beat me up emotionally. And I, I really, I just, I struggled going, if we're going to behave these ways on the bus and behind the curtain, then why are we going out on on, on stage and, and you know, um, using the name of Jesus and, and saying that we're followers of Christ? Because it's like, it's very blurred to me. And I, I think, you know, at, at 21 years old, it just, it, it, it made me not want to believe and this is kind of the, the, you know, the journey. I always share my testimony. I mean, my, my story is very much the same with the prodigal son. It's like I had a foundation. I knew the father. And I think at that point, I got so screwed up in the head that I just took a left turn. And really, at that point, I didn't know what I was going to do musically. I was living in Nashville. And all of a sudden, you know, the next stage was a producer friend of mine said, Hey dude, uh, I can't tell you who, but uh, somebody really big is looking for a singer. And I think you'd be perfect for it. And this, I wasn't in a good space in life, but I I was looking for a gig and um, ended up getting a phone call from uh, the bass player from Creed. His name's Brian Marshall. And he asked me if I'd be interested in flying to Orlando to try out because he had just left Creed. They just finished the weathered tour. They just sold 10 million records and he's leaving the band. And I'm like, you know, yeah, they were huge. Is that that when Scott Stapp had his meltdown. Yep. 
Yep, that's okay. exactly. And so um, I ended up flying down to Orlando, auditioned, got the gig, and I lived at Brian's house for about a year. And Brian and I have been able to kind of reconnect um, over the last couple of years. But I think he was going through a really difficult time. I think I was going through a really difficult time, you know, and it just got really dark. It, it, you know, we did a we did a couple shows. We did um, we, we recorded a, a demo with Britney Spears as um, producer and it, it turned out well. But it's just like I, I don't know that it was the right time for him. Cause I think he was really struggling going from the biggest band in the world to trying to launch a new band. Yeah. And um, so I, we did that for about a year and uh, it was a good experience and I learned a lot. And then that's really what helped me get some idea of, you know, connections into like the VH1 world and the MTV world. Um, Cause I was doing interviews all the time um, with those places. So it kind of helped me, you know, in my own, career to get uh, a little bit of a platform. So I ended up moving from Orlando and drove 20 hours, had this whole vision. I was really praying because I, I really wanted to turn some things around because it was just a dark period in my life. And God just kept giving me this word about religion, which is funny this morning in my um, uh, Bible study, it was talking about that, that religion's only mentioned so many times in the Bible and it's usually four out of five times. It's not good. But I struggled with this idea of religion. And so I did this just this meditation thing when I was driving and I just kept seeing the word re and legion torn apart. And the idea of legion is bringing people together. And the idea of re religion is controlling that unified group. And so what we did or what I did and then brought the band in was saying, let's just go back to the legion part or the legion part of what this is and let's just unify people together. And so my heart was always for finding people who didn't feel like they belonged and creating a space within this music to allow them to be invited to be a part of something. That was the whole idea of Legion. And he was bringing people together. So I drove back to Ohio and got some of you know the best players and friends that I had growing up. And we started this thing. And then you know, that's when we started rehearsing every day uh, in the basement. And then it started to take off about a year later. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, the, your, your story is the, the prodigal son story. Mm -hmm. uh, and you kind of turned away during that time after seeing some of the stuff that was going on, you know, backstage on these Christian tours or whatever. Mm -hmm. What is that? Is the Legion, like, is that what brought you back or you know, what? Oh, no, no, <laughs> that, that took me way, way further. <laughs> um, I think in the Legion part, it's like, you know, I, I, I've always had this foundation and, and knew that my my spirit and heart belong to God. But I went through a period in my life in my early and mid 20s of just kind of going, I know you're there, but I, I don't need you right now. Mm. And you know, we were sucked into a, a pretty uh, intense world. You know, when, when the, the project uh, Legion took off, it was like all the indulgences that you think of, they were there. And yeah. uh, I, I think I, I knew that my conscience being a believer was getting in the way. And I just, you know, wanted to go through that process. Someday I'm going to write a book. I, I told my parents when they pass away, I'll write a book. 
Um, <laughs> I don't want them to really know about all, all of the escapades that, that took place. But, um, you know, it was a it was a period of time where we just threw caution to the wind. I mean, we lived, you know, I, I remember uh, Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses tour manager coming up to me and he goes, dude, you guys are way crazier than those two bands. <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, I shouldn't be proud of that, but in the moment I was. Yeah. Uh, coming from a guy that had been on the road since the mid '80s with with two of the biggest rock bands that, that, that could ever, but you know I, I I love my guys and we're still close and fortunately you know everybody's still alive, um, but man we pushed it we we pushed yeah. the envelope and you know I think sometimes I often probably too much um, wanted to put ourselves in a different difficult uh, situation to see what adversity we could overcome it was almost like a, a, a social science experiment I would do. But it, it, long term, you know, long term, I recognize that I love these guys and I couldn't live on my conscience with one of them dying. And I think in the tenure that, that we were in Legion, you know, I, we had I think the number was 13, but I think we had buried about 13 friends to overdose and suicide during that time. And I remember I was like 28 just people like that were around the band people are around the band you know guys wow. that we would tour with um some some were roadies um some were other artists and other bands people who are close to the band it's just like there, there's just a lot of addiction there's a lot of mental health issues and we were just engrossed with it and i remember you know being i think it was about 28 at a another suicide uh funeral and i'm like i'm never doing this again like I, I just can't come to another funeral where a friend of mine has taken their own life. And it was just kind of a wake up call, you know, and I, I think that was probably the big transition. You know, for me, the biggest thing that hit us was 2008. The economy crashed and touring became um, insanely expensive. Half our record label folded because of it. And I just remember waking up and thinking, you know, at that point, I was like, I think I was just 30 years old. And we were touring with all these bands that, you know, we looked up to in their 40s. And a lot of them had horrible marriages and many divorces and multiple kids around the country that they didn't have any relation. And I was just like, is this is this what I want to look like when I'm 40, 45? Like, do I want to be in another city where I don't know what the city is? Do I, you know, I can't tell you any times I said, how are we doing Chicago? And they're like, oh, you're in Pittsburgh. And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> I had our, our roadie, he he would write the name. I had a box that I would stand on to get me higher on off of the stage than I already was. But he would write the city name, you know, because <laughs> people get so offended when you're just like, what's up, Seattle? And they're like, dude, you're in L.A. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I was in Seattle last night. <laughs> so do you think that's, you know, going back to the prodigal son story, is that your eating with swine kind of, kind of moment. Like, yeah, I just, I knew I wasn't raised that way. I knew that yeah. my foundation wasn't that, that way. And I, I just knew that, you know, I, I was surrounded by so much that I loved that I started to hate, you know, I just, I, I love playing music. I love entertaining people, but it got to the point where it's like, it's not worth it anymore. You know, that's why I love playing on the worship team. Cause I, I, I'm able to provide a gift that God's given me 
but I'm not entangled in all the ugliness and the messiness of that. And I have a lot of fond memories, lots of fond memories at that time. But I knew, I knew in my heart, if we kept going, one of us was going to die. And, yeah. and I couldn't live with that. And, and I've had um, really difficult conversations with all the guys in the band that, you know, they were really upset with me when I called it quits um, for a long time. But we've been able to, you know, bridge that gap. And, and I think they've forgiven me and they all recognize why, why we, we had to make that call. So when was that? What? So that was in 2008. The it was September of 2008, um, we, we had just, I, we hit a wall, like things were just, you know, really difficult. They didn't, they didn't know that our um, record label was going under, but I knew that. And so it, it just made it really, really difficult during that time. So you were the only one who knew at that point that, <laughs> that the record label was going under? Yeah, I was the only one that knew. I, you know, I, being the... I, I, I wore a lot of hats in the band. I, I had most of the communication with the management team and everybody. So I had some, some information that, you know, things financially were not in a good space for us anymore. And, you know, but it, it, beyond that, it just, I, I knew some of the guys in the band were not healthy and, and yeah. not well, you know, and then and they're, they're all thriving now. So. Yeah. Oh, that's um, good. I mean, yeah, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. And, you know, We'll, we'll jump into the counseling because it sounds like, you know, that might have played a part in it, seeing those unhealthy mental states of some of your yeah. best friends, like while you're, you're out on tour and doing all that stuff. I'm sure that played a part. Yeah. But before we jump into that, you told me a story about, like, you were up against Lenny Kravitz and Chester mm -hmm. from Park auditioning for Velvet Revolver or something like that. So, yeah. like... That sounds absolutely insane. I just want to hear the story. <laughs> it, it still is. It still is an insane story to me. I we were out. I think we were in the desert somewhere, and I think we were playing, maybe in Arizona. I can't remember, but it was. I, I remember knowing we didn't have good cell service. So this was like in two thousand six. And you Scott get the box with the the stage name or the <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. So we had gotten word that Scott Weiland was not jiving anymore with the Velvet Revolver guys. And we'd played shows. We'd opened for them. I don't think they ever saw us play, but we got to see them play several times. And when we, rewind, we played a show in Nashville, and then we went out west. And so we, we did the show in Nashville. I remember this guy came up to me. and He looked like he should be in Guns N' Roses. Like, he just had the look. You know, he was about their age range. And... He, he was so kind and he came up to me after the show and he was just like, hit me with compliments. And I was like really appreciating it and stuff, but it was a little over the top. And he was just like comparing me to a lot of like really, really great people. And I was just like, where is this guy coming from? I didn't think anything of it at all. And um, we ended up, you know, moving on. I think we went to Little Rock after that. And then we were out in the desert. And I remember getting a phone call from our label president and he's like, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I was like, all right. He goes, um, you're going to get a phone call in about five minutes. So make sure you're in a good cell area. So I don't, I don't climb in this like dune, this like, sand dune to get it, to get up. And it was, it ended up being the revolvers tour manager or no, I'm sorry, their management company. And they had said that Duff, had gotten word from his AA sponsor who was in Nashville a couple nights before 
that wow. he found the new singer for Velvet Revolver. Wow. And so they were like, your tour schedule, and I remember I flew out of Denver. So we, we somehow we got to Denver. We had a couple days off. So I flew out of Denver to L.A., spent like two or three days in L.A. And what they did is they sent me two recorded tracks, and I had to write lyrics. So I wrote lyrics on the plane from Denver. And the other thing was my record label was like, do not tell the band, which I was like, this is not good. But they were like, we don't want them getting paranoid. So whatever. But you've got to figure, you've got to try this out. So I, I wrote two songs on the plane, got there. I went into the studio with an engineer and producer. We produced the songs through the grapevine. They're like, um, hey, you know, Lenny Kravitz and Chester are doing this too. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that's fair. Like, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I was like, I probably wouldn't have got on this plane had I known that. They're like, no, they want to hear your song. They want to hear your voice on this track and, and whatever. So the takeaway from the whole experience was I have a song that I can hear my vocals on that has all the guys in Guns N' Roses on, 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 two, on two tracks, which I think is pretty cool. That's amazing. That's awesome. Nobody, they didn't end up taking anybody. The Velvet Revolver disbanded and nothing yeah. ever happened with it which was a little so, bit of a bummer but it would have been cool i would have loved to at least do it for one show yeah yeah that's awesome man yeah did uh you did something else for velvet all you said you like either did some studio work or something with them right or yeah it was yeah. just just doing those those songs to audition okay cool all right <laughs> well i mean that's that's awesome it's been really cool to hear about your, your music career and yeah like where that's taken you but let's dive into your, your counseling a little bit and talk about, you know, how you got into that. You know, walk us through kind of the, sure. the process, like after after touring for so long and after being part of that industry and after seeing all that stuff, you know, t- walk us through that, how that happened. So after 2008, I did one more project, um, just kind of throwing something at the wall. And, you know, I, I really feel like the music that I was doing that I'm passionate about just kind of faded. You know, I'm, I'm a heavy rock guy. And 2008, you know, Justin Bieber hit and Miley Cyrus hit. And I was just like, whatever, like <laughs> we're never going to make it. But um, similar to the to Brian Marshall from Creed, um, you know, I had a re- relationship with the Kid Rock guys and uh, Kenny Olsen, who was Kid Rock's guitar player for 13 years, called and said, I heard Legion's done. So we ended up doing a project that uh, we, we spent about two years doing a, a whole thing. It had a lot of push, but it just and the record was good. It, it, the record's probably, it was a four song EP that I probably vocally, I, I think sounded, it was the best I ever sounded, but it just like, it just wasn't happening. Kenny was in a dark place and, and I, I was just done. I think I was done. And, and so it was 2010. I, I remember all of a sudden I started to develop panic attacks. And part of what helped that is, you know, living in Nashville at that point was like a microcosm. I couldn't go anywhere. Like every time I went to somebody, there was always somebody in your face and going, hey, dude, let's hang out or hey, can sign this or hey. And it, it just became suffocating. My brother and I were living in an apartment in, in the middle of downtown Nashville. And there was a period there for about, I think it was about a month or two. I never, I didn't leave. And my brother was getting concerned. My brother was our tour manager for a long time and then moved into management. And I remember he called my parents and were like, you got to get him out of here. Like he's not doing well. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing well. I developed a a really, you know, 
bad anxiety, probably a lot of depression. So it took everything in, in my power to get on an airplane and I flew back home to, to Ohio and I stayed with my parents for a while. And they were like, the only way that you're going to do this is if, if we get you some counseling. And uh, I know we tried for, you know, probably weeks of getting me out the door, but I, I just, I, I was really struggling because it's like everything I'd known since 15 years old is now done and gone. And the idea of transitioning into anything else was so foreign to me, but I ended up getting into Emerge and um, my therapist, his name was Steve Dunleavy. He and I worked together for about a year. Just, it was just a lot of really, really good stuff that really kind of helped me through understanding human psyche. I always had these thoughts about human behavior. I always wanted to do, you know, include those types of things in lyrics and really studying um, and understanding the human experience. And I'll never forget in our last session, he goes, Matt, have you ever thought about doing what I do? And I was <laughs> like, no, man, I have never in a million. He goes, you should. And so it, a light bulb kind of went on because, you know, being a mental health therapist, I kind of do the same thing with clients that I did with my audience. I just don't sing at them. I'm trying to build a bridge from, from who the experience is to invite them in, to feel included, to feel, to let them know that they're not alone. I do the same thing in, in the mental health world. So it wasn't long after that, I, I went back to finish my undergrad and then uh, I got a master's degree and I just kept emailing the heck out of Steve and and some of the other leadership at Emerge is saying there is no other option for me. Like that's where I'm working. Uh, it, they probably got crazy annoyed with me because I, it was like, okay, great. You're in your second year of your master's program. Like, why are you emailing me now? But I didn't want them to forget about me. And um, when I graduated, I think they were just like, oh, okay, finally just come interview. And, and I did, and I got uh, the offer. And, and that was my, I mean, probably one of my faults is I never have a contingency plan. It's like, I never have a net. It's like, that's what I'm doing and that's it. And it's worked out for me. Uh, I, I don't know if I would advise everybody to do that, but I knew that's where I wanted to be. And there was no other option. You know, it's like Emerge was everything I wanted, what they represent and, and the environment that you get to counsel in. So talk about Emerge a little bit, just what's, what's that ministry like? What's the counseling like there? Yeah. Um, don't know that emerge is is very unique um and over the last five years that i've been in the mental health um world you know going to i got my master's from ashland university and um you know being a, a believer in a world that does not necessarily acknowledge faith as being part of the mental health recovery process I could never work in an environment that you cannot bring the Holy Spirit into. And so for me, there was no question because there, there are other places, but Emerge has such a history. But like working at a, like a, um, you know, a non-believing or non-faith practicing place, most times you are not allowed to pray with clients. You're not allowed to bring their faith in. And to me, it's like I can go through all the therapies in the world but if I can't use what I know really saves people, really sanctifies people, then I'm just doing therapy. And what I'm trying to do is, is allow people to come in to a therapeutic experience and have a Christ encounter. And then we're going to see some real change in their life. 
it's not going to be because I know how to do CBT. It's not going to be because I knew how to do EMDR. Those are going to be vehicles that we enable them to get to that place. And then I get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do, do their thing. And I can tell you guys, I've, I've seen more healing in that type of uh, environment. And I wouldn't be able to do that in a place um, not like Emerge. In a lot of places, you're not even really encouraged to do that at all. And so that's, a, that, that's why Emerge is so important to me. And is Emerge, is that just local to Northeast Ohio here? Is there just one location? Or? So, the, yeah, out of Akron um, is our home. There are some satellite um, places, I, I believe Toledo and Cincinnati. Um, we've been talking about branching out into other states. And we're really moving the needle on that. And then obviously COVID hit. And so that changes things. But the way now telehealth is taking over, it's going to make it look a lot different. We're really working. Well, we're not working. We're hoping, praying that the uh, American Psychological Association will start recognizing therapists like myself. Because right now I can only practice in Ohio. And so it really restricts me from being able to work with people who are missionaries in Uganda. You know, it's like a lot of our population, they're only here for a short time and then they're being spread out, pastors and families and missionaries. And as the law reads now, I can't work with them the moment they move out of state lines. So with the the way that the world is moving, um, with the way the climate is, I think some of these these laws that are very old now need to be radically changed because our environment's changing. I mean, for, we're doing a podcast right now virtually because of what's going on in the world, but we can continue doing business and we can continue doing these things. So to answer your question right now, Emerge is centrally located out of Akron, but this was a big part of starting the podcast that I do for Emerge was taking the walls of Akron and extending them out to at least start reaching people outside of um, that zip code. Why don't you talk a little bit about that podcast? Because you mentioned that you're trying to basically bring conversations about mental health care mm -hmm. with the Christian perspective yeah. to a podcast. So talk, talk a little bit about what you do with that. Yeah, it's been it's been a really neat change of pace for my role. You know, the first two years I was with Emerge, I just saw client after client after client after client. And then um, about a year and a half ago, um, we had a new president and his wife came on and uh, just sat me down for a lunch and asked me some things about, you know, where I see myself going and, and how I, I would like to, you know, progress with Emerge. And they just had this vision of a podcast. And it's really funny because I'm the music guy at um, Emerge. Um, so they're just like, so anything with a microphone you can do, right? Like, I was like, just because, just because a podcast has a microphone doesn't mean I know what I'm doing. Yeah, because, um, because I work in IT, they think that I can do right. Exactly. You really can. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I spent I spent about uh, six months just studying and understanding what podcasting was because I didn't really understand the world. And then I think it was last February or March we launched uh, our first season, and it's been awesome. And it is it, it's a podcast that really focuses in on the journey of faith and mental health. Because I think they're so symbiotic. And I interview um, different people who have gone through extraordinary experiences. Uh, I interview um, specialists in certain areas of like anxiety or 
depression. Um, we talk a lot about family and marriage. Obviously, this year we focused a lot on how uh, the COVID experience has affected people and their mental health. And so it's been really great. We're wrapping up uh, season one in the next couple of weeks, and then we'll launch season two uh, early next year and, you know, trying to just grow something similar to what you guys are doing at Core for Life. It's like, these are messages that people need to hear. You know, it's yeah. like we, we are living in a very strange time and there's a lot of uncertainty. And especially over the last year, anxiety levels have gone through the roof. Um, we have noticed uh, depression levels going through the roof and, and the suicide numbers are going up. And so it's a it's a, a imperative message that we're getting out to to let other people know that they're not alone. Um, that this is difficult and it's okay. You know, a lot of times I, I share with clients, it's like, you know, um, it's okay to have anxiety right now. Like, you know, it, when, when we have anxiety and there's not a stressor in front of us, I always use the example. It's like, if there's a bear in front of you, it's okay to have anxiety. What this year of 2020, it's like, that's been a bear. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. Our anxiety levels are allowed to go up and know you're not alone. And so, you know, a lot of what we try to do on the, uh, it's called Experience Emerge, but we call it XM for short. Um, the XM podcast is just giving people tools and um, vehicles and information so that, you know, they can um, utilize that in their own lives. And then what a lot of my uh, cohorts uh, who I work with and colleagues, they'll use uh, the podcast for, for, to for tools in between sessions. So it's like I can only see a client an hour a week there's a lot of time between that hour and the following week and hour. So here's a couple of uh, tutorials or, or podcasts on uh, mindfulness or, you know, uh, calm space or, or whatever it may be so that they're, they have stuff in between to, to keep them going. That's awesome. How, how much, how many people do you talk to that are Christians versus non-Christians that are coming to emerge? Oh, as far as clients or cl uh, guests on the show? Clients. Okay. Clients, um, I would guess it's it's a higher number of non-Christians that you would think. And the reason I would say that, I see a lot of uh, young adults and teens, a lot of them, it's their parents bringing them. And so they're, they usually come from a Christian home. I mean, if you're coming to Emerge, um, for the most part, you're coming knowing that there is a faith-based ministry that's happening. Now, I've had some people that have come and they're just like, look, I've, I've gone the secular route on counseling and it's just not gone well, but I want to let you know I'm not a believer. That's rare, but I've had that. But usually there is some connection uh, with faith. I always tell clients, it's like, you know, I want to pray with every one of my clients, but I will tell them, if you don't want me to, I'll never be offended. And if you say, hey, man, I'm not interested in praying today, that'll be totally fine. I'm never trying to press that upon them. And I've had a couple clients go, you know, what? I'm just not feeling praying today. OK, no, no, no problem. Um, but I, I would say it's, you know, for me, I, it's probably 60, 40. I'm, I'm totally guessing on that. But <laughs> it's somewhere in the neighborhood there. <laughs> I feel like that's that's the hardest thing, right? When you're when you're talking with people, if if they have that same faith and background, mm -hmm. you know, it's easier to open up to to them with where you're at in your faith and how you've grown to get them to realize and understand maybe where they're at yeah. in their life. But if they don't have that, 
what do you do in those circumstances? You know what? I, I've never had a huge problem sharing my faith. I don't know why this story came back to me, but I, I was thinking about, and you guys are going to laugh at me. I was thinking about this today, uh, and, and this, this story popped in my head. And I remember we were on tour with another band, and we ended up going to this after party. And this after party was us and um, a bunch of girls who danced for a living. I think that's a that's a kind <laughs> yeah. way of saying so, that. Answers, right? <laughs> yeah. So somehow we were at this girl's house, and and uh, my wife's going to kill me for this story, but <laughs> but it was funny because this girl put on praise and worship music, which I was like, everybody's you know doing drugs, everybody's drinking and and stuff. And she puts on praise and worship music. I'm like, that's interesting. And uh, Sound of Flood came on. And I was like, oh, I was in that band. And she's, <laughs> like, she's like, no way. And so we started talking. So it was the random, you know, whatever. But I, I just started giving her the gospel. And we ended up praying together. And I never saw her again. Never thought anything of it. About a year later, that guy um, was touring through that city. He called me. He's like, dude, I'm going to kill you. And I was like, what? He goes, that girl has cleaned up her life. She's not dancing anymore. She's going to church and she's gotten back with her, her kid. And he goes, that was my hookup in whatever city that was. And I'm like, <laughs> I was just praising Jesus. You know, it was just like, you know what? That was a, a really terrible situation that I would, I didn't, I was completely unaware, but God was using that moment to get this girl out of a, a horrible situation. And so to answer that question, if, if somebody says in my office, well, telehealth now, but if, if they were in my office, I can still pray for them in my mind. I can still be asking for the Holy Spirit to come into that moment. And I think a lot of times, you know, it's it's just the way I'm, I'm non-judgmental in, in everything that they say. And a lot of times that's the biggest thing that I get is people will try to throw something at me to, to get a reaction out of me like, oh, that's that's horrible. I'll never do that ever. And I've had people throw some of the worst things and I've been in my head and, and thought for a moment, like that is the most disturbing thing I've ever, ever heard in my life. But my, my, my expression on the outside would never show you that. And I've had people go, you know, you're the first person that didn't judge me because of that shame in my past. And it's like, you know, everything that, that I want to convey, which I fall short all the time is how would Christ respond to that person in that moment? And I don't think he would come across judgmental. And I think, you know, my years and years of touring and recognizing that we just want to be accepted. We want to be accepted into a group, into a social, you know, situation by a girl, by a boy, you know, we want, we want to be accepted. And, and once we accept that person for all of their ugliness, we can actually start working on cleaning it up. And, you know, that's why I love our, our church, uh, Redemption, because it, it, it comes from that makeup. It comes from, I don't care how ugly you are. I don't care how broken you are. I don't care how fractured you are. But come here and, and be with other people who are, and we're on a journey to start cleaning this mess up, you know? And to me, that's all I want to do every day in session, uh, every time I record a podcast and I have no problems, you know, sharing my story because it's like that. I mean, I've had clients come up to me with their phone open with Google open and go, is that you? 
And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's me with eyeliner on and my hair down to here and all different colors and, and you know, nail pit, nail polish on and wearing women's jeans. Yeah, that's me. You know, I'm your therapist. So the, got the guy liner and the mom. Jeans. Dude, I, I rocked the guy liner. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I probably lost a few clients because of the Internet. But, you know, I just feel like, you know, it's 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 a it's a good thing to see the transition and transformation um, in people's lives. And I'm, I'm not exempt from that, you know. And so I'm, I'm always very open to share that story of, yeah, man, I, I was that guy. I, I was the guy that was living the dream, but I was broken inside. I was completely separated from God. And I love in the, the prodigal son, God didn't go out searching for the prodigal son. The prodigal son had to come back to the father. Yeah. And that was my journey and that year of, of therapy and then really getting involved in a, a church here and getting regrounded into a world that was based in reality and, and not the insanity that I was living in and, you know, getting away from, you know, there was always these people we would call them leeches. I don't even know where they come from, but they would just, they, they were like, they remind me of like just the enemy. They would just be like, Oh, let's, let's go get some more drugs or let's, let's go get, and it's like getting away from those people that, you know, they weren't part of like the group, but they just would leech onto you so they could get into clubs or get into parties and whatever. And you eventually go, who are you? Like, how did, how did you get here? And why am I making horrible decisions? Because you keep, you know, and so that you always had those people and I just got away from all of that insanity and, and got clear and, and, and really started aggressively pursuing my relationship with God again, which was life-saving for me. That, that's really it though, right? I mean, you've, you've gone through all of that. You've gone through a lot of those things that you're probably hearing when you're in those sessions with, uh, with your clients. And I know we're hitting it probably surface level here in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, you've, when you're hearing those things from them, it's not crazy to you because you've probably, you've gone through a lot of that. You can relate to them. Yeah. You know, I think we're, you know, our audience who we're talking to is, is men and husbands and fathers. And a big thing for men, it seems to be, it's, it's hard to reach out for help. And there seems to be a stigma a little bit around that for, uh, for men and just looking for counseling. You know, what, what would you say on that topic? And, you know, have you had to deal much with that in your uh, line of work? Yeah, I, th I think that's a really great question. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think the problem is, is pride gets in the way. And for me, and being on this side now, a huge part of me getting the work that I needed to get me to a place where I could even see God again, and even be okay with myself, because I was carrying so much shame and guilt, is that I had to recognize the strength comes in knowing I need help. It's, it's not a strength to go, I, I know there's problems in here, um, but I'm just going to deny myself of that and avoid it. You know, avoidance is one of the biggest issues we have as human beings. You know, it's like even going back to Adam and Eve, the moment the fall happens, what do they do? They avoid, they try to hide. And we do the same thing, whether it's video games, pornography, alcohol, drugs, it's all avoidant behavior. If you know you have a problem and you're not allowing yourself to be honest with yourself about it and going to get help, you're actually more weak than the person who's saying, I'm willing to go get help. It takes a lot more strength to get out of your car, 
walk through the parking lot at Emerge and go into an office than it does to be hiding in your own little shell. And so I, I think we have it reversed. And I think, you know, we have been hitting people over the head, especially men, for way too long that you need to be strong and silent and, and not communicate. It's the relationships with men that I have that we go deep. And we talk and we expose ourselves in, 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 in ways of going, this is my heart and this is where I'm broken and this is where I'm struggling, that we actually become iron sharpening iron. And I, I know what Rick has said this and I say it all the time. It's not pillows sharpening pillows. It's iron sharpening iron. And that's tough and it hurts and it's difficult sometimes. But when we do it, we become something much greater than we were before. And if we don't allow that to happen as men, we're missing out on the experience on this side of heaven to have godly relationships and have a connection with our Savior in a way that we were meant to. So I, I, I think it's when we're, I think the most freedom I've ever felt was when I got off my high horse of being a rock star and just said, God, I'm a broken man. I'm broken and I have so much crap wrong with me. I think when I got to that point of just being completely honest that it, I wasn't this big deal and all of this stuff really wasn't important, that I started to actually be okay with myself. And that was the first time I, I actually felt like probably because I was living such a, a faith-filled life in my early teens that I felt alive again. Like I felt like my spirit just it, it left me for you know, I, I refer to that period of time as the dark ages. But the moment I was able to kind of rip that away and just go, God, I'm a broken shred of a man and I'm nothing without you. Please let me be, accept me back, you know. And in that moment is when I think I felt really alive. So I'm OK walking. And I tell all my clients and they laugh at me. I'm like, don't worry, I'm way more broken than you are. And they're like looking at me like, and I'm paying for this, but it's like, I'm okay with it. I know that, you know, anything you share with me, it's, it's not going to shock me. I'm not going to be turned away from you. So that was a long answer to get around. I hope that was okay. Yeah, that was great. That's awesome. I mean, that's the same message that we hear from the pulpit, right? It's mm -hmm. our pastors are not, uh, they're not hiding from the fact that they're very broken people and they come from very broken backgrounds and they're not trying to be, the holy is thou you know they they know that they're they're messed up and they're they're still searching just like the rest of us um the, the difference is that they know that they're there's a savior there yeah. and they they have more to look forward to yeah I, I think i love in the beginning and i i don't mean to interrupt you ryan but in the beginning of james you know, and, and James is um, Jesus' younger brother, which I, I, that cracks me up. It's like, how hard you think you have it hard? Like, it's like, oh, I'm never good enough, mom and dad. It's like, oh, it's all about Jesus. But I love the fact that James is, he's a little bit of a cynic in the fact that, you know, it was really when the transfiguration happened that he started writing. And I love in the beginning of the book, he goes, if you don't fail as a human being and if you don't have adversity, I'm totally paraphrasing, um, what in the world is the need for a savior? So the moment we realize that Jesus completed, he already did what we need. There's no if, if we don't go through the trials and tribulations that I've kind of shared with you guys today. It's like, what's the point of Jesus then? If I could do it on my own then why would God send him? So I believe we were born to fail. 
this idea of perfectionism, we have to throw out the window because we're never going to achieve it. It's just going to cause us more depression. And we have to recognize through those failures and through those adversities, those are the times that we learn. Those are the times that we grow. And we need that because every time we do, that's when Jesus comes in and saves us. Because if we didn't have that, then we wouldn't be seeking him out. If I didn't go through the things that I went through from 2008 to 2010 with all that other crap before, I would have been okay enough to go, well, I don't really think I need Jesus because I'm doing pretty well on my own. I couldn't go anymore. Like my body and my mind and the idea of touring one more day just shut down. And it was like, you're done. You're done with everything. Like to the point where it's like, I, I can't physically do this on my own. And I, for me, that's where God had to bring me to, to wake me up, to, to, to let me know. It's like, dude, you've been, you've, you've gotten too far. So here's your wake up call. I just got to say real quick, because uh, you brought up a point. I know Andrew has mentioned, you know, his older brother in, in the past. He's a, he's a Harvard, he was a Harvard professor and, you know, that, you can't really compare yourself to your older brother when you're talking about James comparing yourself to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Your older brother, I mean, that's you always got that to fall back on. Like you're not you're not comparing yourself to Jesus there. So, <laughs> his his boss at, at Harvard is on the board of Moderna that came up with COVID vaccine. <laughs> so he's, he worked he worked with some smart people. Yeah, at least you aren't Jesus' but, younger brother. At least my Jesus younger, younger brother. Yeah, no. yeah. Andrew. That's right. If you ever need to talk sometimes about the issues that you have uh, trying to achieve, you, you just let me know. We, we can. Yeah, my younger brother's a doctor, too. So I'm, I'm really the black sheep of the family. I'm the only one that doesn't have a PhD or a doctor. So yeah. we need to set up a few sessions probably. Yeah, we can do that. We can work through some of that stuff. You've got to do a cool podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I love that. I, I love that, really, overall, that message. Um, and I think that's where a lot of times Christians come off, come across as, as judgmental or yeah, like belittling to other people that, that have a past or, or have done things that they're ashamed of. And I think that's, you know, for all the reasons that you just mentioned, that should never be the case. Like we're only saved by, you know, by faith in, in Christ alone. And that's, that's what we, we rest on. And so we shouldn't be out there yet judging, putting other people down. Like we should be a light and be ones that are welcoming others in. Um, so I, I just love that message. I love that that's what Emerge is all about and helping people get to that space. Yeah. You, you also talked about, you know, having those brothers in Christ that you can go deep with. And that's really what we envision for Core 4 in the future is, you know, helping to build this network of groups like ours, you know, like, like we've experienced the ability to call each other out on our crap, like to, you know, talk to each other about hard stuff. And mm-hmm. to, to fix, not fix, to work on those problems together. Um, and we just envision being able to facilitate some of that through some content that we're able to provide. So I think it's awesome, you know, just the, the what you're doing through Emerge and, and the work you're doing there. Uh, it's just great to hear, man. That's yeah. awesome. Well, I, I, I appreciate what you guys are saying. And I just know in my walk, and in, you know, kind of over the last, you know, 10 years plus of, of finding that again, that I, that I had in, in my, my teen years, I've never been able to do it alone. And so 
there's always there's always a, a Paul in my life and there's always a Timothy in my life. And that's people that I'm breathing into and people that are breathing into me. And if you don't have that setup, you are one of the sheep that is not part of the flock and you are easy to pick off. And that's that's kind of what happened to me as I started to wander out into the world. I became much easier and easier to target for the enemy and, and for everything else. And so, you know, I, I just know the relational things like I have a wonderful marriage. I love my wife, but I need those guys in my life, too, that are breathing life into me because it's a different type of intimacy um, that we have on that level. And I believe God created it that way because we need that. You, you need the accountability. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're not going to make it very far. Matt, how have you developed those relationships? Because I think, you know, we, you know, our relationships formed over, you know, connection with the church, um, working out together, something like that. But um, I do think there's a lot of guys that, you know, may want those types of relationships. How did you start those? How did those develop? Well, the first thing is you pray for them and you ask God to, Start preparing yourself and those other people to be open to that uh, in that moment. And I've always, even in the, the dark eras, I've always had people in my life. It's amazing to me that I, I think that God was bringing people to me um, throughout my entire life. Because I've always had guys that were over seeing a part of me and they, they were always believers. Um, I would say that you have to be, and I hate using this word because it's such a ch church word, but you have to be very intentional with those relationships. And, you know, I, I'm very blessed to have a buddy of mine, you guys know his name is Jason Rice. I mean, he and I, he and I were in bands together in high school. Uh, we've been uh, friends for, you know, gosh, 20 some plus years. And, you know, when I came back, he was one of the first people I connected with. And, you know, we, we've developed a really, really great relationship. And we're in the word every day together. And every morning we're sharing. And, and another dear friend of mine, Greg, uh, Rob, um, we've brought him into it. And, and, and that's been awesome. So it's like we have a, an accountability uh, together um, that, you know, is, is, is huge. And, and we're constantly praying for each other. But I think the, the big part is we don't have a relationship with our creator unless we pursue a relationship with them. And the way we do that is for me, I need to be spending time in the word. I need to be spending time in prayer. And when those things aren't happening, I think it's really, really difficult. And there are times where I want to be lazy. It's just, it's so easy to want to be lazy. But when you have two other guys like that, that are just constantly, you know, it's like, I'll see their name come up on the Bible app and it's like, oh, Jason did his study for today. I'm like, oh, now I got to go do, you know, but it, it, it pushes you. And so it's like, if I want to foster a healthy relationship with anybody on earth, I got to spend time with them. So if I'm not spending time with God, then my relationship isn't growing. And so, you know, I think that's what helps motivate us in that situation because I want to be in, in those in, in that every day. You know, it's like you cannot um, take time off because it's something that I think you have to continuously pursue. Yeah, I think I think that's the key. I mean, you said that 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 church word of intentional, but you've also said pursue. I mean, it's the pursuit of of finding those Pauls and and Timothys and Barnabas in your life. Yeah. And, you know, that was I mean, that was it for me. I mean, and. For any guy, 
you always have that inclination to be like, well, I can do this myself. I can be on my own because I can be the control of my life. But I mean, I knew myself coming out to Ohio. I didn't know anybody like mm-hmm. I, I married to my wife, but I didn't have a group of friends out here. So I was like, if I knew I had to really pursue God and to pursue uh, accountability, I needed to take that on. And that's where CLC came into play. Like I'm going to commit to this two year. Like I was doing everything I could to make sure I got into the next group because I knew I needed to put in the time, the money, the consistency to, you know, to really put myself out there to try to get deep with a group of guys who now I'm sitting next to two of them right here. And another one that joined us in a Bible study right after that, Mm. you know, you don't get that unless you really put in that time and intentionality, like you said, in that pursuit to find that. And I think that's what a lot of guys can, uh, can miss because they think it might come to them just because it's natural and they've got control, but it's not, it's not going to come and it's not going to come easy. You really have to pursue to follow up on that though. I think, cause where I'm at now, like I've got a group of good group of friends, but I think you can get, you can almost get lazy mm-hmm. because now you've got that and you've got the accountability, but there's almost a comfort, a comfortability at that point. You know, have you had to, deal with that much in your life um well, what would you say to somebody who might maybe have pursued they have been intentional but they can almost get to a point of being being lazy or being content yeah i think the big thing with that is have a plan you know i, I think for us if we were you know just hanging out and stuff it'd be really easy to get off of that but we do do that more so when it, we're not living in a pandemic but we do do that but really it's the you know we're constantly working on a book of the bible we're constantly working on a theme of like being better husbands we're constantly working on being better dads um learning you know different aspects of scripture you know we spent a lot of time this year and just learning how to properly pray you know and so we were dancing all over scripture you know not necessarily in one book but having a game plan, I think keeps it away from getting so comfortable um, because it should be comfortable and you should have time to just enjoy and hang out. But I think, you know, for us, it's, it's really about going, we have a lot of friends outside of this core and that's great. And I get to do that. But with these two guys in this particular time of our day, we are going to be aggressively pursuing Christ. And that's really it. On top of the fact, it's like aggressively doing that, but then being accountable and prayerful for each other about what's going on in our lives and the hardships we may have or the issues that may be going on in our families that we can kind of be a support for each other. But that's what that time is designated for. If, if we're you know going to dinner together or hanging out, it may not be so intense about that. But that time, you know, I I always say it's like there's two things that we can spend in this world, money and time. And I can tell you exactly where your heart is if I can look at your pocketbook and your calendar. And so for me, when God talks about money and and he talks about tithing, I also tithe that first 10 percent of my day. If I'm going to tithe tithe the the other thing I can spend, which is the first 10 percent of my income, then I'm going to tithe that first uh, 10 percent of my day. And so that's what we do is that that time is intentional for us. Like we are, we are using that time for that because I'm going to be spending time with the Lord. And then I'm going to be spending times time with my brothers via text um, through the Bible app that we're going to be communicating 
about how we're interpreting whatever we're reading that day. So for me to answer that question, I think it's it's really about having a plan and then knowing that time is that. It's specific to that. That's what we're doing because it's too easy to get caught up in, in other things, you know, and we want to get caught up in other things. I love golfing. I love, you know, doing those things with those guys. And that, that time we know, but that first 10% of our day is going to be that. That's a good, that's a great idea is taking that first 10% of your day. I I've never really thought of it that way. Like, you know, I've always thought, especially for me, doing it first thing in the morning makes sense just because, you know, just fresh. Give, uh, give them your first fruits. You know, my best, my, the best version of me is going to be that first part of the day because after the day gets started and I get, you know, I always tell people, do not pick your phones up in the first hour that you wake up. Do not get on social media. Do not check email because then you become a responder. Don't be a responder to the, to the world. Be somebody that's putting stuff out into the world that's healthy. Like be that guy, you know? So if I spend the first 10 percent of my day. I'm giving him the best version of myself. We already know the brain can only um, compute so many decisions a day. So give him that part of you. And it's amazing to me how much better my day flows because now I'm not responding to the world. I'm actually interjecting things into it. Dude, that's fantastic. I really, really love that concept. And I feel like we have probably like three or four more podcasts uh, worth of content. We're just going to you know, call you up again and we'll have you on the show again. Maybe we can sure. meet in person once all this insanity settles down. But, dude, i just so grateful for you coming on here and talking through your story and Absolutely. sharing some awesome tips with us and talking about mental health. And uh, like I said, we didn't get to half of the things that we planned to talk about, but it was such such good stuff. Uh, you know, We're psyched about it, and I'm sure our listeners are going to respond well too so thank you so much for being on guys i appreciate it. ryan andrew mike and matt thanks for um let me be a part of, of what you guys are doing because I, I really think um men need what you guys are doing and uh any way i can support it i, I will be a hundred percent behind and i want a shirt i want a shirt <laughs> you're getting a shirt next time that we next time that we play together i will bring you a shirt all right sounds <laughs> good. Thanks, thanks so much awesome, man. Thanks, thanks guys Thanks for checking out the Core 4 Life podcast. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you tell a friend about us? Share a link to our podcast on social media or get in touch with us at Core4Life or Core4Life.com. That's Core, F-O-U-R, life.com. Catch you next time. Core 4 Life. Yep. I said a corn for life. <laughs> <laughs> Dilly. All right, we're recording.